Welcome to the Dollars and Hops podcast, where we help you optimize your financial future. Here are your hosts, Scott and Lance. Welcome to the Dollars and Hops podcast. We're excited you're here with us. Uh, we're excited to take a look this week at index fund investing. My name is Lance, your host. I have with me my co-host, Scott. Scott, how are you doing, man? How are things going? I am doing well, Lance. Uh, excited to get into this topic. I think this is going to be a fun episode for the listeners. And I do think uh, that we could all take a look at our investments and our uh, expenses that we're paying and uh, learn a thing or two. So excited to get into this one. Yeah, definitely. This is, a, I think, a topic that both you and I have been passionate about for a long time. We've had our eye on this episode really since we launched the podcast, um, just because I think we've gone through a lot of trial and error in our own investing strategies over the years, even the decades that we've just kind of seen the market shift and move and lots has changed. And um, what we have available now to all of us as investors is really quite remarkable. And um, as far as low cost options uh, that we're going to talk about in detail this episode, so definitely stay tuned. Um, But before we hop into anything else, we would definitely need to go ahead and take a look at what kind of beers we have on tap tonight with the Hops Showdown. Scott, what are you sipping on this week? Yeah, so for those of you that don't know, each week Lance and I will drink a craft brew. Uh, At the end of the episode, we'll rate them. And tonight I'll be sipping on a Dewclaw Mad Bishop. This is a... uh, uh, Duclaw from Rosedale, Maryland. Uh, Mad Bishop is a limited release German styled Oktoberfest beer. I'm excited to get to taste this one and uh, looking forward to um, sipping on it. Lance, what are you drinking? So this week I'll be drinking a special brew from our friends over at Westbrook Brewing in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, right here in Charleston. They've got kind of their flagship beer is called the One Claw. Uh, it's like a rye pale ale, an American pale ale. And I'm, I'm very excited to dig into it. Definitely wanted to keep it in line with, as you're bringing on Duclaw Brewing Company for the first time on the podcast, thought I should answer it with a One Claw rye pale ale from Westbrook Brewing. So this is the Claw Mountain. Matchup. Claw matchup. Here we go. That's right. All right, Lance, I saw that you found a headline this week. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Um, This one says Robin Hood internal probe finds hackers hit almost 2000 accounts. Talk to me about that. Yeah, this is um, this is some fresh headlines that have been developing over the past week or two, actually. And it seems we've got some more detail. So this is near and dear to my heart because I once upon a time had a Robin Hood account, had the Robinhood app on my phone, invested in it, messed around with it, and was impressed by the app itself. It's very sleek. The user interface is amazing. And actually, what I found out over time is it's it actually hinders your ability as an investor to invest well for the long term. So it actually promotes the very thing we are going to be against here on Dollars and Hops podcast, which is this idea of day trading or making short-term trades and trying to beat the market, time the market. We are against all of that. I want to be very clear in that. Uh, we're going to talk in more detail about that. But So you're saying I shouldn't be buying like 300 shares of Tesla and then selling it tomorrow? Yeah, that's right. We're going to, we're going to be avoiding any type of uh, <laughs> irresponsible investing activity like that. Uh, we definitely want to avoid that. So Robinhood, you know, they had a couple issues. Uh, I remember, man, it was probably about six months back and I was trying to execute some trades and just making some long-term purchases. 
uh, through the app and it was having some trouble and it was timely, needed to ha- needed to happen in a specific amount of time and it was delayed and orders weren't going through and I was very frustrated. So I, I went ahead and moved everything that I had in there, which wasn't much, to um, the rest of my investments in Schwab and was very happy with that. Um, and turns out I'm very glad that I did that because more recently, uh, a couple weeks ago and last week, um, it looks like they were hit about a couple thousand accounts have been hit and wiped out clean by hackers. And if you've used Robinhood app or know anything about it, you know that the reason they're able to keep their costs low and such a sleek interface is they don't have customer service representatives you can call on the phone and actually speak to anybody. That sounds like that sounds like a little bit of a problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem, especially when you have an account that has hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars that is all of a sudden wiped out while you're sleeping and you wake up and it's your money's been stolen essentially. Um, who do you go to? Who do you call? You write in and file a ticket and you know we heard one story about one guy filing like 10 different cases and they just keep getting opened up new cases and it's a nightmare. So we want to go ahead and urge everybody <laughs> who's listening to this, if you have a Robinhood account, I mean, really, um, you should think about maybe moving it to one of the three brokerage houses that we do support that um, has an actual customer service team that has security measures in place. That would be Schwab, Vanguard, or Fidelity. We talk about them all the time on the podcast. Please, please don't use the Robinhood app and take it from a guy who learned a lesson the hard way, but luckily I didn't have anything stolen. But um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. We're going to have this link up in the show notes to check out the article for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's dangerous out there. So we got to make sure we're being safe and smart with our investments and even the types of apps and the types of companies that we're utilizing to actually make our investments. So I I think it's important to think about that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of their appeal was, hey... Uh, this is a slick interface. You're you're able to trade for zero dollars. Um, they've lost a lot of that competitive advantage with, with all these other brokerage companies out there, Schwab and Fidelity, all doing zero dollar trading now. So there's really no reason to use it, and and definitely there's better options out there. So with that, I think we're going to get into our main topic. We're going to talk about index fund investing. So uh, Lance, what? What is an index fund? So an index fund is going to be, let me back up. So we know what a stock is. I think most people who are listening to this podcast are going to know what an individual stock would be. A represents shares of a company that would be traded publicly. And that company is going to be able to deliver profits to its shareholders on a quarterly and annual basis. So it's shares of an entity that's generating income and profit. So it actually makes money over time. So that's what that's what a stock is, a share of a stock traded on the New York Stock Exchange, in the open market. Um, a, a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund um, are going to be comprised of several lots, lots and lots of individual stocks, um, individual companies. And so what that does is it diversifies your risk by instead of just betting the farm, betting your entire retirement or your life savings on one company by going into a mutual fund or an ETF, you're actually diversifying it and saying, I'm going to bet on the entire stock market for one instance, or the S&P 500 index. We're going to talk about that and exactly what that is later on in this episode. Or I'm going to bet on information technology stocks if that's a sector that I feel um, comfortable investing in for long-term growth. So what an index fund is, is a specific broad brush of a group of stocks. Um, and 
specifically, we're going to be looking at um, index funds that have a wide, wide swath of the market, um, specifically a total stock market index fund, the S&P 500 fund, and some great growth and international index funds that track that particular segment of the market or the entire market. Yeah, absolutely. And the way I like to think about this is just a basket of, of, of stocks. I mean, it, it's a bunch of different companies and it's a way to buy into those companies without actually having to buy the companies themselves, uh, their stocks themselves. So a lot of these index funds or ETFs that we're going to be talking about it gives you access into Apple and Amazon and all these different, it might give you 500 different stocks, but you only have to pay $80 for one share of that index fund. So it gives you little itty bitty slices of these great American companies that are producing a lot of profit. And it's a way for you to get access to the investments that honestly, the big dogs are using the, you know, the, the investment advisors are using these funds in people's retirement accounts. And there's very low barriers to entry to getting into these funds. I mean, a lot of them are no minimum. You can have $60 and buy an index fund. So there's no reason that any of our listeners can't start investing. And uh, if you haven't done so already, we would highly encourage you to do so. Yeah. And we're going to keep it just kind of intro level here on, this is our first episode diving into index funds. And it's such a broad topic. And there's so many uh, different branches that this goes, different directions that this topic goes into that um, it's very exciting. And there's a ton of information out there. If you would like to learn more about index funds specifically, there was a great episode of a podcast that we love that I specifically love. It's the Choose FI podcast. Um, the guys over there do an awesome job. Um, it stands for Choose Financial Independence. So Choose FI podcast. Their episode 24, episode 024, is actually their first episode on index fund investing. And they've got a gentleman on there by the name of Jim Collins, who is kind of like one of the godfathers of index fund investing, who really believes in the total stock market approach and kind of sold me on some of his ideologies and, and helped me kind of get around the, the corner on how to think about index fund investing and to kind of give up this idea that, hey, I could beat the market or I could find somebody who could beat the market and invest in top tier funds with you know top tier investment fund managers who could produce returns that would outpace the cost or the expense ratio of that fund. He kind of debunks that theory and not just him. He points to people who have put forth lots and lots of hours of studies and papers on looking at historical evidence that shows that index funds outproduce over time. Yeah, I think that's important. So uh, when we're talking about this, it's important to know that a lot of people they think, hey, let's let's leave it to the professionals. They they know where the best returns are going to come from. Bottom line is there's been tons of studies as Lance has said on this and as best as anybody can tell, it's it's pretty hard to beat the market in any given year, let alone in consecutive years. So Leaving it in an index fund is often, and the majority of the time, the far majority of the time, the better option for a greater overall return. You're going to be less emotionally involved as far as like pulling money in, taking money out. You're not going to have that person there that's emotionally involved. And that can be important because nobody really knows when the stock market's going to go up or go down. You can take a look at 
earlier this year with with the economy, uh, with with all sorts of jobs being lost and the unemployment rate going up. And yes, we had a dip in the stock market, but nobody expected the rebound that we've seen since. And the index fund investors that just stuck it out were the ones making all the money at the end of the day. So um, I think that that's important to point out. Right. So as we dive deeper into this, you know, one of the key uh, measurements or key criteria or key factors of each fund, one of the key markers of each fund is going to be something that's called the expense ratio. This is a published percentage for each fund. Scott, what exactly is an expense ratio? Yeah, so not all index funds are created equal. Um, There's some that have very high fees going into the, to, to an index fund. But in general, uh, when we when we think about index funds, we usually think about low fees. So there's something called an expense ratio, as Lance said, this is basically the cost to invest in that fund. So it's it's what the brokerage company is actually taking out of the fund on an annual basis for you to invest in it. What what studies have found over the years is that the lower that number is, the closer to zero it is, the better your overall return. So that's something that we like to keep below about five, six basis points, so 0.05, which is a teeny tiny uh, amount of money uh, to pay to have access to all of these different funds. Like I said, for, you know, you might pay $60 for an ETF or a, a mutual fund that's tracking an index and you're getting access to five, six, seven hundred companies at one time. That is a very low cost to pay to get access to such a large swath of investments. Yeah, great point. And it's important to point out the expense ratio is a percentage that is an annual percentage rate. So that's for the whole year. So for a whole year, it would cost you 0.05% in Scott's example, or 0.06%, which would be um, considered low cost uh, expense ratio. Another thing to point out is on the fee, side of things with the expense ratio, this is a fee that's baked into the return of that particular fund for the year. So if you were to Google the fund ticker symbol, you could see a one-year return, a three-year return, a five-year return, maybe even a 10-year return if it's been around that long. Um, and you're not going to see uh, uh, fees uh, listed separately. The f- expense ratio is listed. It's published information. It's public. However, it is baked into the re- returns that are published as historical returns. So there's a couple reasons this is important. The most important reason we look at expense ratio, as Scott pointed out, nobody knows what the market is going to do tomorrow, what the market is going to do three months from now, three years from now, 30 years from now. That's the truth. We don't know. What we do know is the expense ratio will be the expense ratio. And that is a for sure expense that you will incur in your returns Therefore, we focus on that and we reduce it to as little as possible um, or at least getting it into the low cost realm where it is considered, you know, such a low cost that it's a cost we're willing to take on. Absolutely. I think with that, a lot of people probably have questions as as to, hey, what what index funds should I use? Uh, what what are those funds? Um Lance and I kind of took our three favorite brokerage companies that we use, you know, Vanguard, Schwab, um, and, and Fidelity, 
And we broke out a couple of different funds to consider within each of those uh, brokerage accounts. To start off at Charles Schwab, um, they have low-cost ETFs, um, these track indexes. There's two ticker symbols that I use in my personal portfolio. One is SCHB, that's the Schwab US Broad Market ETF. It has a 0.03% expense ratio. And then if you want to go international, SCHF, that's a Schwab International Broad Equity ETF. So it's basically those two funds, uh, one is international, one is US-based. They're both a very much broad market. And um, on average, you're looking at about a 0.04%, 0.05% expense ratio. That's extremely uh, cheap investing. They also have some target date funds. Target date funds are basically uh, uh, mutual funds that you put 100% of your money into and they diversify it based upon your age. So you would pick the fund with the date that is closest to your retirement year. You put 100% of, of, the, of your investment money into it and it will automatically change the investment mix as you get closer and closer to retirement. So as you get closer to retirement, they're going to increase the amount of bond exposure. Bond exposure generally less risky than stock exposure. Um, I won't get into all of the specifics with that, but it's it's a way for you to kind of set it and forget it. And those you can also find those target date funds with extremely low expense ratios. Yeah, and I think um, we're going to look at a couple other funds as well. Um, but before I do that, um, you know, there, there's a saying that uh, when talking about trying to time the market, um, that time in the market beats timing the market. And what what we what we really mean when we say that is. When we are putting money into the market, whether it's in a, a retirement account or whether it's in a brokerage, bridge account, post-tax brokerage account, we are saying that money really should be invested for at least five to 10 years and ideally decades to take advantage of the compound growth of that the market can provide over time, those returns over time, reinvesting dividends over time. As Scott pointed out earlier, it can also be emotional to see the market go way up or way down, and it can be uh, enticing or tempting for some of us to say, I got to pull everything out to protect myself when the smart thing to do is, if anything, buy the dip, but really just to hold course, stay the course, to continue to execute your investing strategy. What we found very interesting is Warren Buffett, and for those of you who don't know Warren Buffett, um, he's one of the most successful and wealthy investors of all time, if not the most successful investor of all time, um, who is still alive. And he's older and has had a lot of success over the years buying companies and trying to make them run better, more efficient over time. And Berkshire Hathaway is uh, his, his fund, his company. He's quoted saying that in his view, for most people, the best thing to do is owning the S&P 500 index fund. This is Warren Buffett himself. And in fact, he's also, that's a quote from this year. He's quoted in a previous year saying that when he dies in his will, he's putting the remaining assets for his wife, his spouse, into the S&P 500 index fund and that Vanguard's would be his 
index fund of choice for the S&P 500. That is phenomenal wisdom and information when it comes from investing that even he realizes that, hey, I've had some success and some luck over his lifetime, right, of investing. But for all of us, what he would recommend that we would do is just stick with the index because he's betting on the world economy and the U.S. economy specifically over time to produce more than adequate returns for what we would need to achieve our financial goals. That to me is crazy. And that that speaks volumes. I mean, Warren Buffett is the greatest stock picker, really probably of, of our lifetime, maybe ever. He's basically saying, don't do what I did, just buy an S&P 500 index fund. Right. If that doesn't tell you <laughs> all that you need to know, I, I don't know what does. Right. The, the power that really is there in an index fund by just committing to a strategy of one, two, three, or even four index funds, what we're going to tell you is that's really all you need. Even in one index fund, as Scott pointed out, that index fund could be comprised of 500 companies. It could be comprised of three or 4,000 companies, depending on what kind of index fund it is. Plenty of diversification. Um, and then just committing to that fund and knowing that it is going to go up, it is going to go down, but over time, over years, and even decades, it is going to do very well for you. Absolutely. And I think from like a big picture standpoint, it makes things so easy. You know, if you have some extra money, where it's going and what you're going right. to buy. You don't have to think, oh, should I buy Microsoft? Should I buy Apple? Should right. I buy this? Should I buy that? You don't even think about it. You just put the money in the fund. You move on with your life. You let it work for you. That to me is extremely powerful. You might you might say, oh, well, you know, if I pick the right stocks, maybe I can out earn the S&P 500. Chances are you probably mm -hmm. won't. There's a lot of research indicating that you probably won't. You'll probably be a little bit too emotional uh, when it comes to the, to the peaks and the valleys. But it's incredibly powerful to just be able to buy a fund and not have to worry about it. Oh, man. It, it takes care of itself. It's so true. By having a plan and a strategy, I think you actually you execute that plan even more effectively um, just knowing what what your plan is for your money. Really, it's kind of like the monthly budget episode we talked about. Just by having a plan, you're going to be more successful at executing the said plan. Um, going back to timing the market real quick, by timing the market and, and picking the stocks that you think you can beat the market with, if that's you, let me help you out with this. You have to time the market on the buy. You have to, you have to pick the right stock, first of all. Then you have to time the market on the buy. You have to time the market again on the sell when you choose to sell. And then you have to time the market again a third time on when to buy back in and on which company. And this is why it is Wait, just, That sounds so simple. I mean- It's so simple, come on, right? <laughs> who, come on. Who couldn't do that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's- it's You just got to be right like seven times in a row. That's right. It. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you ever heard of- You remember that um, ESPN like pick them thing where you had to pick like 17 or- you know, 35 games in a row and win a million dollars and like nobody ever won it. It's like, it's the same type of idea. It's like March Madness, yeah, you know, like the, perfect the perfect bracket. bracket. We always fill yeah. them out and we're always all wrong. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. So stick with index funds, really. Um, it'll make it'll make your life a lot easier. And not only that, um, you will be more successful over time with your investments. And then you'll be able to sleep at night knowing that you have a well-diversified portfolio and you're not even relying on your own ability or someone else's ability to uh, 
pick the right stocks, quote unquote. You know, some another brokerage house we love is Vanguard. A couple of the funds, uh, the ETFs that we uh, invest in, both Scott and I both invest in these. Uh, the VTI is the total stock market ETF. It tracks the entire total U.S. stock market. Its expense ratio is 0.03, very low. VUG is Vanguard Growth ETF. That's a 0.4% expense ratio. And VOO is Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF uh, that Warren Buffett kind of talks about. And then real quick, the difference between ETFs and mutual funds, they are very, very similar. They're basically the same thing. They're funds that are comprised of lots of different stocks. However, mutual funds are required to report their price at the end of the trading day. And so intraday trading during the market open on that particular trading day, you're not going to see the price move at all. And then at the end of the day, you'll see what the price changed to. It was either plus or minus, um, how much a percent, how much of a dollar or cent per share. And then the differences with an ETF or an exchange traded fund, the biggest difference is that there's no minimums to get in. And also, it trends with the stock market intraday trading. So if it's $60 a share, you know, 10 minutes later, it might be $61.20 a share. And then another 10 minutes later, it might be $60.26 a share. And the point is... So it's like that live. It's, it's live. You can track it live if you wanted to. That's right. That's right. Before we move on, I think it's also important to mention one of my favorite brokerage houses. That's Fidelity Investments. They have what they call zero funds. These are my favorite funds of all. They have zero expense ratio. Zero. Did you say zero? I said I said zero. So this is something new. Uh, I think they introduced these probably a year or so ago. It's a loss leader for them. They're not making money on this. They're trying to uh, bring you into their brokerage house. They're doing, they have four zero funds. Um Two that I would recommend, FZROX, that's a total stock market index fund. FZILX, that's an international broad market index fund. Very, very similar to the Schwab funds that I mentioned. I think it's extremely important to mention these. And if you're new to investing and you're just starting out, you really can't beat these zero funds from Fidelity. And with that, Lance and I wanted to go through an example of the power of index investing and doing things on your own. So we're going to introduce two people, fictional people. And Lance, do you want to introduce DIY Danny? DIY Danny. So in this first example, DIY Danny, you know, he's he's an avid listener of the Dollars and Hops podcast. Smart guy. I already love Danny. Smart guy. I love Very Danny. Very smart guy. He understands that index funds are, are the best place to save and invest. Um, and he does all of his investing on his own. He's confident. He's, his choices, he saves and invests in two different funds, um, one of them being the Fidelity Zero Fund. Uh, they provide a broadly diversified investment mix and with thousands of investments within that fund. It actually pays zero investment fees through his zero funds at 0.00 expense ratio. Confident in his ability to weather the market volatility because he knows he's investing for the long term. He's not using Robinhood. He's not going to pull out when the market dips. In fact, he might try to buy a little bit extra on the market dip because that type of a market would present a discount compared to long-term prices. Very smart guy. Five to 10 years or even decades down the road, that's the horizon he's looking at. Danny, DIY Danny, earns about an 8.5% return over time. This is a, a 
conservative kind of a return over time, what we could expect potentially for market futures. And he starts with $10,000. He invests this $10,000 per year, starting at age 25. It's a lot of money. Um, and over time, he gets increases in his pay and bonuses and his uh, compensation goes up and he's able to add 3% more each year uh, to keep up with inflation. And he stops investing at age 65. And so that is DIY Danny. We're going to see how he comes out at the end of this example. All righty. And then we have Oscar the Outsourcer. I'm introducing Oscar the Outsourcer. Oscar doesn't listen to the Dollars and Hops podcast, strike one. Not a smart, not a smart guy. He thinks that investing should be left to the professionals. Okay. He pays an advisor 1% to manage his investment portfolio annually. Okay. And I think that there's a- You said you said one, that's 1% annually? Yeah, that's, that's a lot okay. of, that's a lot of, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of fees, um. 1% to manage his investment portfolio annually. His advisor puts him in index funds that have an expense ratio of a half a point. So half a percent. They provide a broadly diversified investment mix with thousands of investments, just like DIY Danny gets access to. He also earns an eight and a half percent return. He starts with $10,000, just like DIY Danny, and he invests $10,000 per year, starting at age 25, ending at age 65, and he adds 3% to his savings every year to uh, adjust for inflation and his pay raises. So who do you think has more after 40 years of saving? DIY Danny or Oscar the Outsourcer? Scott, what is our answer? Yes. So DIY David actually ends up with 42% more. 42% more, which equates to $1.4 million more because he kept his investment fees 1.5% lower than Oscar. At the end of the of the 40 years of investing, Oscar has $3.3 million, which is good. But David has $4.7 million. And that is simply because of keeping fees low. Wow. So just to rehash that, we're saying that DIY Danny ends up with 42% more in his portfolio, which in this example, $10,000 a year with a 3% increase over time. We're talking low or no cost index funds versus the 1% fee manager um, with half a percent funds. Um, that's $1.4 million difference um, for DIY Danny. Um, which, which is about $56,000 yeah. in retirement wow. on an annual basis. That That's a that's real money. Wow. So a lot of people sit there and say, hey, it's 1% or it's 1.5%. Like, who cares? It's a small amount of money. It adds up so yeah. much more than anybody would ever think. You so, know, the power of compound interest that we talk about, um, and, and we really haven't gone in depth in that yet, but it works for you. It can also work against you. And this is one of those examples in which, hey, if your fees are high, then compound interest actually works against you in, in an example like this. And hey, we got to be mindful of this, right? We got to be mindful of what we are investing in and what, what our fees are, what our costs are for our different investments. So that's a great example, Scott. Absolutely. And with that, we are going to go into our next segment, which is questions that need answers. Lance, this first one comes from Brandon. 
He says, I have a $25,000 student loan. Should I pay off this loan before I start saving for a down payment on a house, or should I make smaller payments to the student loan to be able to afford a down payment sooner? Student loan rate is 0% for the rest of 2020, and then it goes to 5% starting in 2021 at a fixed rate. What do you think, Lance? Yeah. Um, so, hey, if it's a 5% student loan, that's right on the bubble, really, um, that Scott and I talked about in our financial playbook series of episodes. Um, it's it's right there. I, I think because it's a $25,000 student loan, and that's the only student loan that was brought up here, I think I would personally just feel better if I just knocked it out. And then that would free up more additional monthly cash flow to save up for a down payment. Um, I think we could probably get that done pretty quickly and be debt-free doing it. That sounds pretty good to me, um, but I could see the other way working as well. And I think really both answers are not going to be wrong in this particular situation. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. This is kind of fringe. Um, 5% is really not that high uh, from a from a loan standpoint. Um, there's, there's definitely, you could be much worse off. So it depends on your life circumstance. I mean, if you're single and you have really, you know, no, no immediate need to move into a, a new house. Maybe the better option is to tackle the debt. If it's something where you could really use the extra space and you really need to to move, um, you could pay as agreed on that loan and save up for that down payment. So this is kind of one that could really go either way. It's really a personal preference. And I think it has to do with, you know, what's going on in your life at the, at the time. Cool. Definitely. I agree. Um, okay. Let's move into the Hops showdown. Uh, the get the the scores here on on the beers for this week. Scott, how are we looking with with your beer? All right, this one again was from Duclaw Brewing Company out of Rosedale, Maryland. It's called the Mad Bishop. It's a German styled Oktoberfest. Definitely tasted the um, malt flavor. It goes down really really easy. Uh, definitely tasted some notes of caramel honey, vanilla. It was a really easy, easy drink. Loved it. I would give it 92 points. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Um, okay. So for Westbrook Brewing in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, this is their flagship beer, the One Claw, the American Pale Ale. It's like a rye pale ale. Definitely enjoyed it. I have had this one before and enjoyed it every time I've had it. It's it's got some citra hops. Um, it got kind of a rye wheat finish. Uh, I am biased to this one. It's... um. It's, it's a local one I've been familiar with for a time, and I've always enjoyed Westbrook Brewing. They do a great job. I, I think I do have to give this one a 94. So it, it's not it's not an all-time winner on the podcast. I think we have one beer that might have cleared 94 once before. But um, this is a, a high-scoring one for me, and and the one claw takes down Duclaw this week on the podcast. So yeah, you took me down there, but uh, I think we play this week in fantasy and I plan on taking you down there. So fantasy football, hopefully I'll have some better luck than I did in the hop showdown. I think you will. I think you'll smoke me this week. So it's my attempt at a reverse jinx. So good luck. (laughs) So as we leave and sign off, um, I think our action step for this week is, are you investing? Either in retirement accounts or in brokerage post-tax accounts, have you taken a look recently at what types of funds you own? Ask yourself, are the expense ratios acceptable? Are they high? Consider investing in low-cost index funds moving forward. It's actually not as complicated as you might think. And the savings are immense over time. And put that extra savings 
to work for you using compound growth in that investment instead of having that compound growth or expense work against you. This is Lance. This is Scott. Live and give on less than you make and invest the difference. Dollars and hops out. You have been listening to the Dollars and Hops podcast. Optimizing your financial future starts with taking action today. Got a question? Shoot us an email at questions at dollarsandhops.com and the guys will tackle it on a future episode. Visit our website, dollarsandhops.com for show notes and the craft brew lineup for each episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thanks for listening.